Hi, and welcome to the Delivery Manager Daily Podcast, where I, your host, Mario De Cristofano, will talk to you about life as a delivery manager. We'll talk about strategy, tactics, things to do, not to do, and wrap all that up in a way which makes sense. This is an attempt at a daily series of podcasts which are released across wherever you get your podcasts from, and an occasional YouTube video version with bonus content, should you want that. If you want to get in touch or get involved with the podcast, or maybe even be a sponsor, get in touch via Twitter at DM underscore daily, or check out the blog, mariosblog.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Delivery Manager Daily. I'm your host, Mario De Cristofano. I've got absolutely no real understanding of what episode number this is. I don't know, maybe 30, 31. These are just details, right? Um, but thanks for listening. Um, I've been trying to get this out for a couple of weeks. I've just managed to find time in my schedule to just be able to record a few thoughts. And what I wanted to talk about was, as always, in line with something that I'm doing at the time. In a couple of weeks, I'll be uh, talking with uh, a couple of colleagues about the very same thing on another podcast that I run. Um, but for now, I wanted to talk about being a good consultant and what being a good consultant means. And more recently, I'm involved in conversations and working with consultants to actually talk about and encourage conversation about what being a good management consultant is. And it's something that got me thinking because I've worked over the last few years and observed kind of, um, sort of, I guess, my growth as a consultant and the things that I think about and the way I carry myself. But also um, when I've been on project sites and I've looked at other consultants and, and actually sometimes it's negative and I've observed behavior and I thought, well, not sure about that. Um, but I've also looked at consultants and thought, wow, you're awesome. And I've actually learned from that. Um, so I wanted to talk about that today. So what does being a, a good consultant mean then to you if you just spend a couple of minutes having a think about it? I see a management consultant as a product and it doesn't really matter and some of the things that I'll talk about today will be dependent on the, the, the role that you do as a consultant. If you're a software engineer, you're not going to witness or be at uh, certain conversations um, that you might be if you're a DM or a program lead and vice versa too. So as I talk through these, I'll consider different roles in consulting. But I think as a consultant, you think of yourself or I think of myself as a product. Uh, firstly, you're a product. You are being charged out anywhere upwards of a £1,000 a day to a client. And you're expected to have a certain amount of broad spectrum professionalism and capability in your area of expertise. But if you've ever worked in classic consulting, you'll be expected to be able to pick up uh, things that you don't really know a lot about, but your ability to kind of absorb information in a structured and logical way and at pace is why you're being charged out at £1,000 a day. Now, if we look at classic consulting for a minute and we look at the, I guess, the classic model of type of person that goes into consulting, often these are uh, university or MBA grads. Maybe they're at the start of their career, high performers, um, and are getting into the tech industry and are not really sure where to go. Getting involved in consultancy is a great kind of launch pad. And I, and I say this to many that I talk to that are getting into their kind of tech careers. It's an opportunity to travel. If you're working with one of the bigger consultancy firms, you get to travel all over the world and you get to work across all different types of clients. And you really get an opportunity to um, 
test the waters of where you might want to work later in life. So if I look at some of the early parts of my consulting career, you know, I've worked in banking, automotive, uh, finance, uh, foreign exchange, security, defence. And these aren't small clients. These are the biggest clients in the world. So you get access to that and it's a privilege. And that gives you an idea of where you might want to work, whether you either exit to industry, which is a consultancy term for kind of you've given up consulting now and you're actually going to to your forever home or whether you continue consulting, but in a particular niche. And that's kind of the classic consulting model. And, And if you've done that, you'll know exactly what that kind of life is. It's the long days. It's the long evenings in hotels, usually with your working team and the client traveling on planes like most people catch buses, all that kind of good stuff that I've moaned about in the past. And then there's the broader spectrum kind of um, smaller boutique consultancies that do an array of digital and IT turnkey services that are day to day, the kinds of services that businesses want and need and often deploy armies of people, sometimes to fill bums on seats, other times to actually do practical stuff. And maybe you work for that type of consultancy firm. And regardless, you're a product You're either a product because the project demands a resource augmentation and you're there as resource augmentation to pick up some work or you're a consultant and actually becoming a trusted advisor or advising the client or customer on a strategy or approach. We look at some of the reasons why clients use consultancies and some are more well known than others. Um, And we've talked about in the teams that I've worked with, you know, um, clients want their issues validating They want to leverage outside expertise. Um, Maybe it's easier to cut a relationship with a third party vendor than it is their own team. Maybe they want resource augmentation. Often it's budgetary. So it's easier to kind of get in operational expenditure um, and hiring consultants rather than it is to get CapEx sign off. And that's often why you'll see hordes of management consultants sitting there sometimes wondering what they're doing because it's been a case of, um, well, we need to use the budget else we're not going to get it next year kind of thing. And we'll work out what we're going to do as we go along. Um, and that's quite prevalent still. And, and that's understandable, especially for big clients, big organisations. Um, but often they want that kind of counsel. They want to leverage broad spectrum expertise that they may not have because they've got a blinkered approach because they only know their industry. And even if they know their industry, they probably don't know it as well as they think because they're blinkered to their own business. So being a consultant is a great way of being able to go in and help and support clients. But you have to be mindful of who you are and what you are. You are an expensive, uh, expendable resource. And what I want to talk about very quickly is just some of the things I've observed positive and negative and maybe some of these will resonate with you about what I think makes a management consultant a good one and what I think makes a fairly shitty one Um, so let's talk about uh, the shitty end first So what makes a shitty consultant? Well, there's a few things you have to factor in, I think, societally first to kind of bring all this together. We've all worked in some form of hybrid remote working world for the last two years. And whilst this podcast isn't about COVID, obviously that's been tough for many. Really, really tough. People have lost loved ones. People have had their lives changed. People have reconfigured their lives to cope with home working. Work's an issue and fitting everything in. And as the world opens up again, it's all really, really tough. 
right? And people have had to get used to the pressures of working from home. Maybe if you're fortunate enough to have a big enough place, you've set up a corner in your house at home to, to kind of work from, but maybe you're a busy parent and you're sitting on the edge of the bed or the sofa. Maybe there's a little bit of kind of, oh, I, I don't quite feel professional here. You know, the laundry's in the background. Um, and some people, you know, there was a bit of a joke, wasn't there, during COVID that everyone put some bookcases up because it, it made a good background for your Zoom calls. Um, but we have to be mindful also, right, of, of younger people starting their careers and, and, and being on conference calls and feeling um, a little bit kind of out of place because, you know, some people are geared up. They've got a nice home office that they spent 20 grand on and, and other people at the start of their careers probably share a house with fellow students and colleagues. And, and it's just, you know, that that is a thing that needs to be talked about, recognised and, and understood. Obviously, a lot of emphasis on blurred backgrounds, that kind of thing. And then we move into kind of the switching the cameras off um, and then the conversation about, well, no employer is going to tell me what I can do in my own home, which I vehemently disagree with, but we'll come on to that. So we're talking about what makes a shitty consultant. So that, that bit there, I just wanted to acknowledge some of the difficulties that I understand and recognise and try and be sensitive around. So... I think that as a consultant, whether you're at home in your pants, and you probably shouldn't be just in pants, um, or you're at a client site in a meeting, um, you need to behave and look a certain way. So let's straight out of the, 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 the gate talk about what looking right in quotes means so I don't get a load of backlash. So I have a personal opinion about what professional looks like. And I still think maybe I'm a bit old fashioned. The whole conversation about our suits out of date. My background was wearing three piece suits for most of my working life as I accelerated my career. And that's a habit. I think a, a suit on a man looks smart. Um, I acknowledge that you can dress really well and be an absolute potato. I understand that and I'm not suggesting that wearing expensive suits does anything to, to kind of bolster your capability. What I am saying is that when you're being charged out at £1,000 a day, you probably don't want to look like you're being dragged through a hedge backwards. Now, people have their own individuality and express themselves in various ways. And one of the ways that they do that is the way that they look and dress. And that's absolutely fine. But the reality is, I think work requires you to make some compromises and whilst I like to wear uh, jeans and a t-shirt or whether I like to wear shorts and a, and a tracksuit top I'm not sure that's entirely um, suitable for when you're being charged out at a thousand pound a day rebuttal to that will be well you know travel is difficult you're better to be comfortable other than being all kind of awkward and sweaty and uncomfortable and I get that too and that's a practical thing and I'm just talking broadly the broad point I'm making is I think you need to look smart you need to look professional whatever smart means to you so if you don't wear suits then I'm not suggesting you need to go out and buy a three-piece suit what I'm suggesting is that you need to look suitable for someone that's paying probably a thousand pound a day for you and I think that applies whether you're writing code testing code delivering a project or anything in between I just do and I think looking smart looking presentable with clean pressed clothes and that you've had a shower and done your hair and all that kind of stuff sounds really obvious and can I understand sounds quite patronizing too and it's not meant to be but what I've observed is so many people are so relaxed over the past two years it's got really I think a bit kind of shocking I've been on client sites 
and outside of the client's dress code, consultants are looking like they, they've just come in from a skate park or that they are about to go out to a club or go to bed even. I think it looks shocking. Um, so the first shitty thing I've observed, and I think that being a good consultant means in a practical way, is look the part. You're told, aren't you? You, you, you read books and, and, and watch um, coaching videos on, you know, dress for the role that you want. And again, I know this is a really difficult conversation because um, people have very strong opinions on this and I get it. But I'm allowed to have my opinion. And I think that regardless of how the world is, um, looking smart, I don't think you can go too wrong. And I recently talked to someone and he said something brilliant. He said, you know, you should mimic the client's environment. And I think to some degree, you're absolutely right. I think obviously, you know, if you're working on a client site and they're all in three quarter length shorts and flip flops, you're rocking up in a three piece and bowler hat. That's probably going to make you look a little bit uh, inconspicuous. Um, but at the same time, you're being charged out a thousand pound a day. So look the part. And there is a correlation between looking and feeling good and your confidence and the positive impact that that has. So again, I know if you're a software engineer, the last thing you're probably thinking about is the way you look. I get that. I just think as we talk about the conversation of having more people at the board table, and I've talked before about software engineers in particular, I think you're much more accessible and approachable if you don't look like that um, you've just rolled out. And I'm not suggesting software engineers are guilty of this. Just broadly, God, I'm making a load of caveats in this podcast, aren't I? Um, that you've just rolled out of bed and you're covered in bits of pot noodle and uh, what's it? <laughs> so look the part is what I'm saying. So the, the next thing I think is shitty and that I've observed is it's it's what people do at home on camera. Um, and that'll lead me neatly on to the next thing. But let's talk about just what I think people do wrong when they've got the cameras on. There is a conversation and there is a fairly sensitive conversation around when you're at home in the four walls of your home. Really, you can do what the you want, right? And no one, including your employer, is going to tell you that's your home. Now, controversially, I entirely disagree. I think while you're working, you're representing the company that you work for. And whether you're at home, in the safe bosom of your house, whether you're doing a conference call on the street, or whether you are in the gym, or whether you are at some industry event and there's a free bar, like it or not, you're probably paid, in this particular example, more than many. And you represent the company that you work for that pays you that salary. And I think that you should apply a reasonable amount of kind of professionalism at home as you would any other place. And the thing that's my biggest bugbear that I've seen recently is people vaping. Oh, I think it looks shit. I think it makes you look like you're selling Ford Fiestas from a Dagenham Forecourt. I really do. And there's two things that really wind me up. People that vape on calls. I think, and people that then hide that they're vaping on calls. Now, I get it, and I, I, I get it. I just don't think it looks great. And again, whether it's an internal call or whether it's a call with a client, I just think you should be consistent. And I just think that, you know, rocking up to a client site, ripping on a vape in the kitchen and then hiding it, I see that all the time. I just think it looks shit. And this isn't a conversation about smoking or vaping. All I'm saying is, and again, that key point is if, if you're being paid or you're being charged to the client a thousand pound a day, you probably 
should think about how you conduct yourself, including what it looks like on camera. So vaping for me, and especially, you know, I've seen senior people vape and it's like, come on, come on. Um, so that's one of my biggest kind of bugbears. And I think if you're a good consultant, these are just things that, that, that you shouldn't be doing. Next thing, which is probably in relation to um, this whole, can you enforce or mandate what someone does when they're at home? You know, in my previous comment on, well, I actually think, yeah, kind of, or there should be a little bit of balance. Um, not being on camera, right? There are adequate enough tooling within video conferencing software to allow you to blur your background or have privacy around your background, whether that's because you've got your washing or laundry in the background or your dog's peed all over the carpet or you're sitting on a bed in a box room that's got an inappropriate poster on the wall or, you know, we all feel rough, right, sometimes and you sometimes don't want to make an effort. However, hybrid working and working at home on on video means that it's too easy to switch that that camera off and what you're doing is you're removing the key element of how we communicate as human beings you're missing you're removing the ability to read micro gestures eyes body language and it removes a level of um uh sincerity i think from a communication and the thing i always do to uh highlight this in calls where people have cameras off um, is you don't go up to someone in the street with your hands over your face when you're introducing yourself. I also think people have weaponized cameras off to act and say things um, that they may not do by looking at you in your eyes. And I think that's shitty. So don't do that unless you've got real reasons. Put your camera on. And, you know, I've got some anecdotes. I was doing a retro recently and uh, someone told me a new one just for the fact of, I don't know, being me, I suppose. But um, this person you said, said something along the lines of, I have some kind of physical thing and I don't want to switch my camera on. And it was just done in a way where I couldn't challenge it and the camera was off. But it just doesn't facilitate good communication. And it just I just think it's shitty and people have weaponized it. So personally, just don't do it. Then the last thing in shitty things in my top three of shitty things is um, not working and playing well with vendors. I mean, I'm quite innocent and naive, or I try and be, and I genuinely, genuinely assume that people will put their mortgages on the line for doing the right thing. Because if everyone did that, there wouldn't be a problem. And time and time again, I see groups of consultants working for a particular firm not playing nicely with the respective neighbour. So I've been on so many projects and despite all the best promises and sugar-coated smiles in the world, um, consultancy firms trying to get one up over on the other for either commercial gain or um, taking scope or trying to nick work. And my approach to that has been killing them with kindness and mostly it's worked. I've actually got the people that I've previously fought with fairly good um, relationships now, almost friends, because they've hopefully recognised that I am as nice as I come across and it's genuine. Um, and I will call out bullshit behaviour because ultimately what it does is it affects the client. Um, 
my in my rainbow kind of view of the world, I believe that if you had three consultancy firms all working for the same client, each one of those should be servants to the client, right? And there should be no fighting around scope or commercials between each and every one. The difficulty with uh, engagements these days is there's a lot, always a lot of scope overlap. And that should be worked through and talked about. But the fighting and using the client as leverage is just shitty. And I see it every day. Even now, I see it. And it never changes. And each engagement I go in, I go in with an open mind and a heavy heart. And I think, maybe this will be the one. And it never is. So my advice to consultancy teams with firms is um, stop being driven by that sales target or that KPI because it's driving the wrong behavior. Don't be shitty. Do the right thing. Ah, Now let's start with what's good in the world and how you should. Maybe, possibly, sometimes the things you should do to be a great consultant. Um, they all fundamentally are centred around the characteristics that make people good human beings. So there are going to be no surprises here to anything that I say. It's all centred around trust. I've personally built my relationships with my clients or our clients or the clients of the companies that I work for. Um, and I've done that by being straight and honest and upfront and trustworthy and being that trusted advisor and not um, bullshitting and saying it as it is. And that requires on itself a level of confidence and um balls i guess but that's a skill that i've developed and broadly speaking it serves me well i think the more straightforward you can be the more um to the point you can be the more succinct you can be the 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 easiest you can be to get on with in a, any given room um being affable being approachable being friendly not having multiple doors that need to be broken down before they can get to you, uh, not having an agenda, not playing the political game, all these things you'll listen to and go, yeah, 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 that's obvious, but how many people just do it? You either do it because you do, you do it because you like it, you do it because you're forced to do it by the company that you work for, or sometimes you do it because the environment that you're in encourages that type of behaviour. Um, I think being straightforward, decent, honest, all those things that make you a good human being, make you a good consultant. Um, I want to talk about some of the brilliant consultants that I've met. I obviously put myself out in the world, as I've said on other podcasts, and obviously have a fairly high opinion of what I do. I, to some degree, I validate that by the, the life that I have and the work that I've done and the things people hopefully say about me. But I have a reasonable opinion of myself and think behind the scenes work really hard to be decent. Very occasionally, I I, I, um, I meet consultants and they're just next level and I just aspire to be them. And, and actually, when we talk about being a good consultant, I really wanted to pull out some of the characteristics. I'd love to mention their names. One is awesome and we get on really well. One, I think, is awesome and I've, I've nicked a load of their kind of traits that have in turn accelerated me. Um, but I don't think this person likes me, <laughs> which is quite funny, really. Uh, I, I often refer to people, I'm into cars, so I often refer to people as cars. And I've referred to this person on several occasions uh, as a Ferrari. So if they are ever listening to this podcast, they'll know exactly who they are. Um, one of the things I think makes a good consultant is the way that you communicate. 
And I think you have to be laser accurate and emotionally aware and emotionally intelligent to the way you communicate and that you can convey and tell a story. Um, One of the reasons I've said I do this podcast is to practice that skill. I think the art of communication has been lost and I think hybrid working and being on video conferencing tools and working remotely, I think it gets lost even more. And on top of that, without sounding like an old granddad, I think the younger generation coming through, um, I think are very quickly losing the ability to authoritatively communicate. Um, Getting on stage and speaking in front of 2,000 people shouldn't be that much of a big deal. And you should be able to tell a story and narrate and command a room. And I think that's a skill that's really lost. Um, One of the characteristics that I see in in both of these people, but in the the Ferrari in particular, um, is the confirmation of what you've heard so the client will say something to you and and you will play back and you will say so what i've heard is and what you're doing is you're validating your understanding and then make a little note so you know that you're you're demonstrating not only that you are listening and taking it in but you're cognitively doing that too so there's absolutely no um misunderstanding you'll hear me do that a lot if you work with me now you'll say something i'll pause listen and then i'll say so what i've heard is and then i'll play that back to you and then i'll write it down that alone is just a skill that sounds as obvious as fuck. But but it's just something maybe I did, maybe I didn't, I don't know. But this particular individual does it very clearly and very uh, overtly and consistently. And I really liked it. So I nicked it in terms of a habit or a characteristic that I've amplified. Um, that's the first thing. Um, one of the other things I think, may, outside of those broad good human being characteristics, is, is know how to run... I mean, crikey, know how to run a good workshop, right? Know how to facilitate a good workshop or an event. Whether it's a discovery or whether it's a meeting or a technical breakdown or a PI planning session or anything in between, for goodness sake, be the leader in the room and run the workshop well. It needs to have a start, an opening, a clear agenda. There needs to be pauses, breaks, opportunities to bring people in that need to be heard. Uh, Reading the room, uh, controlling the room, making sure topics don't go off in subjects, don't go off tangents and people waffle and you need to cut people short. Making sure that you can uh, orchestrate technology. So cameras, microphones, video conferencing tools. A bit of background music in periods of time when there's quiet, you know, at the start and at the end or during breaks and making sure you you remember to do lunch and really commanding that event, making sure that it has a very clear start and end and it's followed upon and there's notes circulated. And it all sounds when I talk about it really obvious, but I don't always often see consultants do that. And just an FYI, I don't think that should just be DMs or, or project managers or team leads. If I were any technical discipline, I would make sure that everything coming in and out of me, I tell this to people a lot, just make sure the stuff coming in and out of you is top quality. You might not be able to control it, but if you're a filter for when it gets to you, that's when you can control the outcome. Um, If I was a software engineer, I'd make sure that I, you know, um, have a seat at the table by being all those things I said earlier, approachable and communicative and not necessarily um, using technology as a crutch because maybe I'm not really confident. Um, I don't know. I know that's a bit of a stereotype. For people that aren't confident in those situations, 
I don't think relying on your technical capability is the answer. I think what the answer is, is to up your social EQ and your social capability. That will in turn not only make you better and be a better consultant, but it will leverage and amplify your career. That's the more difficult thing to do. And lo and behold, people don't do it. Um, I see really awesome technical people crippled in business because they are constrained by their social capability. And instead of recognising and working on that, um, I think you amplify negatively the stereotypes that are in the industry, like the archetypal, in quotes, nerd that's got a uh, Ramstein t-shirt on, covered in pizza, sitting at a computer coding all night. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. And nor am I saying that the shiny, shoed, slick, suited, bullshitty consultants is the way to go. But people have really got to remember that they're human beings and extracting out of them some of the softer skills that maybe they don't have or they don't um, brush up on and get better at. So being a better consultant, I think, really requires you to have a really good emotional EQ and in particular communicating that ability to communicate I think it's at the heart of everything Um, and hopefully you've enjoyed me communicating some of this stuff today about what being a good consultant is and we're at about 27 minutes so I'm going to stop talking now but that's been a oh it's been cathartic for me look out for the other uh, podcast where I talk about this with a couple of great colleagues who I absolutely love, um, where we'll continue this conversation more. And go to mariosblog.co.uk. I've written about some of this stuff too in a lot more detail with some links to stuff. Go and check that out. Follow me on Twitter at MarioDC. Thanks for listening. Take care. This episode sponsored by MD Technology Services for IT consultancy and digital delivery projects and Creative Pixel if you want an affordable bespoke website which won't break the bank, get in touch. creativepixel.me.uk forward slash DM daily for a 10% discount on all websites.